following message is from the 2023 Leaders Summit in Louisville, Kentucky. For more information on Harbor Network, please visit www.harbornetwork.com. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Welcome, everyone. We are so glad to have you here. We're so glad to be able to worship with you. And we are anticipating the Lord doing a mighty work this week. My heart is so full, uh, just seeing so many friends and uh, knowing I'm going to have the opportunity to meet others. Uh, This week, I believe the Lord has something in store for us as a network, in store for us as a body. I believe that we're going to experience renewal and leave here ready to continue to do his work. Uh, My role right now is simply to uh, set up uh, Pastor Jarvis Williams, who's going to be our our, our main entree for uh, tonight. And I'm going to do that hopefully by helping to set up the the conference, by uh, helping us to, to put our eyes on Jesus, asking the Holy Spirit to search our hearts so that we would have the right motivation and motives when it comes to cultivating churches that look like heaven. And so I'm going to pray and ask you to to join me. And then I'm going to ask you guys if you could put a 20-minute timer on the clock for me. Thank you. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are faithful. You are good. You are merciful. You are kind. And we, we worship. We beg you to have your way. Speak, Lord. For your servants are listening. Even now. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. In 2016, I had the joy of sitting in this room for uh, what was my installation service um, as lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. It was an incredible night. It was a, a weighty night. The sanctuary was filled with uh, people that I love from my former church, uh, Forest Baptist Church, a 150-year-old church that uh, was nestled in a Newburgh uh, community of Louisville. And those uh, Christians... African-American men and women that I had the joy of pastoring for eight years uh, sent my wife and I um, here to Sojourn Midtown in some ways as as missionaries to an all-white, majority white church, 98% white church um, in a majority African-American neighborhood. It was a, a beautiful night as we gathered with uh, Sojourn Midtown as well as other Sojourn Uh, churches here in Louisville, and we just worshiped the Lord, and we anticipated what he might do, and we celebrated what he was doing. Well, that night, as I sat in the first row, surrounded by friends and surrounded by uh, church members of the past and members that were current of Sojourn, uh, the preacher who was doing the installation sermon uh, began to preach about spiritual warfare. And I'll never forget, as he preached about spiritual warfare, that um, he looked towards me 
And he let me know that this, what we were attempting here at this church was not going to be a cakewalk. In fact, he said, just as Saul threw a spear at David to try to take him out, Satan's aim is on you and this church. It was a solemn message. Just a few days later, I was uh, traveling uh, from our home and headed to the office for the first time, and it felt like someone had stabbed me in the back. I pulled over on the highway and I began to throw up. I got back in the car and I tried to make it to the office and I limped in. And those who were in the office was like, man, go home. And it looks like you need to go to the hospital. I got back in the car, drove back home, stumbled into the house where my wife was. And she saw that I wasn't looking well, called a close friend. He rushed over and rushed me to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, all kind of tests was done. And for the next few years, tests would be done as I lost movement in my, my lower uh, body, and I found myself multiple times a year, I'm limping, not knowing what is wrong, as the doctors uh, was essentially calling it a medical mystery. Uh, that spear seemed to land before I preached my first sermon at this church. But the spear wasn't just thrown at me, it was thrown at our church. The next few years, we would experience spiritual warfare and the fact that we uh, lost some due to moral failure. We had some healthy staff transitions and some that were complex. And we also uh, just went through an immense amount of suffering as a body. And I say that as we start off just to let you know that if you are committing yourself to this multi-ethnic, what we call an in-church as it is in heaven, kingdom culture, um, you should be expecting spiritual warfare. Um, breaking down barriers ethnically, social, economically, generationally is going to come with a fight. It is not going to be a cakewalk because we are going against strongholds and Satan wants to disrupt what we are attempting to do. Now, when we talk about spiritual warfare being present, uh, that's not the only thing that's going to be present. Another thing that's going to be present as we seek to cultivate a multi-ethnic kingdom culture is temptations. There are going to be some real temptations as you leave this week and go back to your place of worship, to your community and your church. Some real temptations that can distract you from the, the mission of God and from the will of God. And so today I want to address three temptations that leaders face when cultivating a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. Three temptations. We want to go through these really quick. Three temptations that leaders face when seeking to cultivate a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. Now the question is, what is a multi-ethnic kingdom culture? All right. And the way we define a multi-ethnic kingdom culture in the book is a multi-ethnic kingdom culture is a context in which uh, people root themselves in their gospel identity, which is a transcendent identity, while appreciating their own ethnic identity. It's creating a context 
were that which is good, true, and beautiful from every ethnic culture can be celebrated. In essence, a multi-ethnic kingdom culture is a culture where you don't have to check your ethnicity at the door when you enter into relationships with other believers or into the church. And so as we cultivate this multi-ethnic kingdom culture, I want you to hear me say that we believe that, that this is even more important than aiming for a multi-ethnic church. Not every church should be multi-ethnic. And not every church can be multi-ethnic. Some churches don't need to be multi-ethnic because uh, the leadership hasn't done the work to welcome people. And some churches should, uh, cannot be multi-ethnic because they're in a homogenous area. But every church can create a context where a person's gospel uh, has a, a gospel identity that transcends all identities while at the same time appreciates and celebrates what is good, true, and beautiful of others' ethnicities. And so there's three quick temptations I want to show you that, that leaders face, that you face, that I face as we cultivate a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. The first temptation is the temptation to provide for yourself. That's the temptation to make it happen. The second temptation is a temptation to perform for others. That is to make others happy. And the third temptation is a temptation to promote yourself. That is to make yourself known. Now, each of these three temptations, I believe, is rooted, um, and, and we see these temptations in the temptation narrative of Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by the devil. In verses 4, 1 through uh, 4, we see that the Bible says that the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil is going to be named and mentioned six times in this passage. He's also going to be spoken of as, as Satan. And it says, and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then a tempter approached him and said, if you are, if you are, or since you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And that's the first temptation. It is the temptation to provide for yourself. This is the temptation to make it happen. Now, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus could have turned stones into bread. We'll see later in the Gospels that he's going to take a little boy's lunch and, and multiply two fish and five loaves and feed over 5,000 people. What is under this temptation is twofold. First, Satan is testing Jesus, tempting Jesus to see if Jesus is going to listen to a voice other than his heavenly father's for ministry. And second, he is tempting Jesus with the temptation of self-reliance. After all, Jesus, you are apparently the son of God. You just was affirmed that in, in chapter three of Matthew at your baptism. Should the son of God be in the wilderness hungry? Be relevant. Take matters into your own hand. Feed yourself. And the same temptation we all are going to have as we leave this conference this week, this, this temptation to provide for ourselves, to make it happen in our own strength, to cultivate a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-social economic church. 
and to do it by any means necessary. The second temptation is a temptation to perform for others or simply to to make others happy. We see after this temptation that Jesus speaks the word of God to Satan. He says, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then Satan matches Jesus' uh, philosophy by quoting scripture back to Jesus. And he's going to come a second time. He's going to take Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. And he's going to say, hey, Jesus, quoting Psalm 91, really kind of misquoting it. Uh, it is said of the Messiah, I'm paraphrasing here, that um, angels will be dis- d- d- dispatched if he finds himself in harm's way. Why don't you jump off the temple and see so that angels can come and rescue you? And I think that behind this temptation is a temptation for, for Jesus to have this performative spirituality. We're going to see this later in the Gospels where the Pharisees and the scribes will come to Jesus and they will demand signs. Will you do signs because other people are telling you to do signs or will you listen to the voice of your heavenly father? In essence, Satan was tempting Jesus to put on, to be a circus act. He was trying to see if Jesus would be removed from his center, and live to please others. Here at Sojourn Midtown, we say that a multi-ethnic church has multi-ethnic problems. And if a person is not rooted in Christ, they will be tossed to and fro. Because when you have a multi, truly multi-ethnic, multi-cultural, multi-social economic church, Um, They are going to be a fellowship of differences. People are coming from different backgrounds. They celebrate different things. They like different songs. They have different political uh, nuances. And if a leader is not rooted in something other than the opinion of man, he will find himself, rather than leading people to the cross, feeling like he is leading a circus. Constantly living for the approval of others. Perform for me. Make this happen. Jump, Jesus, so that everyone underneath this temple pinnacle can see you fly. Can see you work. The third temptation that a leader will face if they are seeking to cultivate a multi-ethnic kingdom culture is the temptation to promote yourself, to to make yourself known. We see that in verse 8, Satan is going to come back to Jesus. The text says that he took him to a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. So Satan isn't playing anymore. He has come to Jesus multiple times seeking to tempt him. Even after Jesus speaks the word of God to him, he says, hey, I know the Bible too. I'll speak it to you to see if I can get you off your center. And then his third temptation, he's just going to put it all out and just say, hey, here's what I really want. I want you to worship me. I want you to bow down to me. And we know that Jesus is going to speak the word of God back to him. But underneath this temptation is this temptation for Jesus to promote himself. Satan, who is the prince 
and the power of this world, the one who is overseeing this present evil age, could have given Jesus the kingdoms. And he is tempting Jesus with a, with a crown, without the cross. Your heavenly father, I've read Isaiah, if you are the Messiah, says that you are going to be a suffering servant. I can give you a kingdom without you having to suffer. Just bow out and worship me. And that is a temptation, a very real temptation when you are seeking to build a multi-ethnic church. Maybe not for you, but that is a temptation that I have had to, to, to fight against myself, a temptation to build a church where everyone is getting along, where you don't talk about issues of justice, where you don't press into issues that make people uncomfortable where you seek to be a diverse church that has peace that is not a true peace. And underneath all of that is really not the kingdom of God and him building a beautiful church in our midst. It's, it's our comfort and our name. My fear for our network, my fear even in, in writing the book, one of the things that I, uh, with uh, Pastor Timothy Paul Jones was very aware of is this, this fear that we would leave or pursue this type of church because it's the next kind of hot thing or popular thing. That as leaders, we would, would figure out that, hey, like youth ministry in the 90s <laughs> or church planning in the early 2000s, if you want to set yourself apart from everyone else, gather people from different ethnic backgrounds. Because if you do that, when you show up, people will say, there must be something special about him. Must be something special about this pastor. He can pastor white people as a black man. Must be something special about this white man. He has black people in his church and brown people in his church. And there can be a motive to stand out and to stand apart. So how do we fight against these very real temptations really quickly? We fight against these very real temptations by first rooting our identity in our belovedness. Root your identity in your belovedness. Just before this passage, you know the story. Jesus is in the Jordan um, being baptized by John the Baptist. And the Holy Spirit descends on him as a, a dove and he hears the voice of his heavenly father Tell him and tell everyone around him, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. A good friend, Jason, who's a member of our church, was telling me recently that he heard someone uh, talk about this passage and he used the acronym LAP. He says, God spoke to Jesus and he said, essentially, you are loved, you are approved. God is, God the Father is pleased with you or proud of you. If we are going to fight these very real temptations and pursue this multi-ethnic kingdom culture, it is because the love of the Father, the approval of the Father, the pleasure of the Father is what is motivating and keeping us. 
In 2018, I had an existential crisis. I was at an event here in Louisville, and I showed up to the event, and it was the who's who of black clergymen on one side of the room, and it was the who's who of white professors and clergymen on the other side of the room. And I left my all-black 150-year-old church after prayer and and seeking God's wisdom to come to a 99% a white church in a, a black neighborhood, and I offended some of my black brothers. When they looked at me, they saw a sellout. They saw someone who had given up on his community. But then I looked to the right side and I saw uh, some white professors and some white clergymen who um, I did not feel welcomed by, who I constantly felt that I was under a suspicious look. And I remember having an internal meltdown. But I'm telling you, what happened was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. In that room, I felt the Lord speak to my heart and tell me that if I did not ground myself in him and his love, that I would live my life, one, not truly being known by anyone, and two, constantly becoming whoever I needed to become based on who was standing in front of me. But as I left that place, it was like the Lord through his spirit, just renewed me and grounded me in his love. And it's as if a stronghold broke in my heart and I was finally able to show up as the Lord had created me and called me to show up. I remember that next Sunday just feeling free, free of the approval of man. And that's something that I still have to fight for to remind myself that I am loved in Christ. I am approved in Christ. God is proud of me in Christ. And if you don't find yourself in the love of God and see yourself as the beloved of God while trying to cultivate a multi-ethnic, multi-social economic church, you will weary yourself quickly. You'll faint in the wilderness. Second, practice disciplines of abstinence. In this text, we see that Jesus is in the wilderness and he is fasting. Now, Satan thinks that Jesus in the wilderness fasting, I'm sure that he's coming to Jesus when he is just depleted and weak. But Jesus is not depleted and weak in the wilderness. Jesus is alert and spiritually strong because he is communing and and praying with the Father. He is spending time with the Father before he goes into his public ministry. And one of the ways we fight against these very real temptations to provide for ourselves, to perform for others, and to promote ourselves is by instituting habits that form us, habits that keep us in the presence of God, habits that keeps us dependent on God like food, habits that encourage us to listen to the voice of God and to talk to God. And that's what Jesus did. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Disciplines, he has what he calls disciplines of engagement and disciplines of absence, abstinence. 
And so we have these dis- disciplines of abstinence on the screen. These are our disciplines that uh, cause you to uh, not live for the approval of others or to be seen by others, but to bask in the presence of God. In our uh, book, In Church As It Is In Heaven, we talk about the importance of habits and how our habits form our loves and they form us. And so I want to encourage you as you leave this conference to make sure that you are putting these habits in place. And third and finally, how do we overcome these real temptations? We overcome them by by knowing and trusting God's word. We'll put these verses on the screen. You know the story very well that every time Jesus was tempted, he quoted the scriptures. He answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus told him, it is written, do not test the Lord your God. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus knew the word, and it's good to know the word, but he also trusted in the one who inspired the word. He trusted his, his heavenly father. And so what we see happening here in the wilderness, as we know, happens throughout the gospel of Matthew as we see that Jesus is the, the new Israel, where Israel was in the wilderness, and he's quoting all this from the book of Deuteronomy, and they are tempted by Satan. They are self-reliant and not depending on God. They are not trusting God. Um, they complain. They're bitter. That generation that was in the wilderness, they die in the wilderness um, because they refuse to trust their heavenly father. Jesus is showing Satan that he is not like that generation of Israel. He is the new and true Israel who will obey his father even unto death. And not only is Jesus the new and true Israel, Jesus in Pauline language is the new Adam. Where Adam was in a plush garden with Eve, surrounded by trees and could eat of any of them but one, and failed, Jesus is the second Adam who is in a wilderness alone with nothing to eat, but is proved faithful. And he will prove himself faithful over and over throughout his ministry. He will prove himself faithful and allow him to be be crucified so that he could redeem for himself a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. He would prove himself faithful, even though he was whipped with 39 whips. He would prove himself faithful, even though they would put a a throne of of crowns on him. He would prove himself faithful, even though he was spat on. He would prove himself faithful, even though he was abandoned. And he did it because he knew that the day was coming. I said the day was coming where his church will stand around his throne and worship him with a new song that has never been sung before. So how do we fight these very real temptations we put on Christ and we pursue his vision for his bride, knowing that the pressure is off and Christ's The story is already written, and we have already won. Beloved, 
you're already a part of a multicultural, multi-socioeconomic, multi-generational church. Just live into it by looking to Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, help us. Help us to put on Christ. Help us to believe that the pressure is off. Help us to go through the rest of our time knowing that we are loved, that you approve us, that you are proud of us in Christ Jesus, that we're already promoted as we are sitting in the heavenlies with your son. We are the apple of your eye. We belong to him and everything that he has belongs to us. So help us to run our race with joy. Laying aside this mindset of should and ought to. Looking to him and worshiping him saying, I get to. I get to follow in the steps of my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 